Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and thanks for joining me for another great interview episode where we track down an expert on a certain aspect of cocktails, spirits, or home bartending and let them give us a crash course on their particular area of expertise. Today's guest is Kat Hamidi of Capitaline Vermouth, and she's been making vermouth in restaurants and for off-the-shelf sales for years. So she's got a lot of great insights on that product. But before we jump into the interview, as always, I want to give you the opportunity to make yourself a drink. Today's featured cocktail is the Adonis cocktail, which was developed in the 1880s when vermouth really hit its stride here in the U.S. and is named in honor of the first Broadway musical to eclipse 500 shows. Fun fact. It's a very light cocktail, and it's an excellent aperitif if you're looking to keep things reasonable on a weeknight or if you're doing some light day drinking on the weekend. To make an Adonis cocktail, all you need is two bottles, sweet vermouth and sherry. And to be quite honest, we haven't talked a whole lot about sherry on the podcast, but basically you can think of it as another type of fortified wine similar to vermouth, but made using different methods. So you take equal parts usually one or one and a half ounces each of sweet vermouth and sherry. On uh, the sherry side, most people like to use an Oloroso, just a style of sherry. And you combine those in a stirring glass with ice. You add a few dashes of orange bitters, stir it, then strain into a wine glass or a stemmed cocktail glass. The last step, of course, is to garnish with an orange twist, but sometimes, if I'm feeling sassy, I like to toss a a lemon twist in there instead. And, uh, of course, that always kind of depends on the ingredients. One note I'll make here is that, as a host, it's your responsibility to think of your guest's safety and enjoyment throughout the whole event you're hosting. And part of that is knowing how to tactfully moderate alcohol to make sure things stay fun and safe. To that end, a really sessionable cocktail like the Adonis or the Americano, which we'll mention later, is a really great asset to have at your disposal. You get all the great flavor of a handcrafted drink, plus the control that comes with lower ABV. With that said, let's turn our attention back to this episode's main attraction. In this wide-ranging conversation with Kat Hamidi, some of the things we discuss include how vermouth is defined around the world and what distinguishes different types from one another, the process of bringing recipes from her days in the restaurant industry to life in a distillery setting, a special tasting of those products where we hash out flavor profiles and ingredients, popular cocktails where vermouth is a main character rather than a supporting cast member, Kat's new mission to make a vermouth cocktail for her celebrity crush, and much, much more. I think we've all seen vermouths rise from obscurity in the past few years, and after you listen to this episode, I'm sure you'll join me in the opinion that this ain't your grandma's dusty green bottle anymore. And with that, I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Kat Hamidi of Capitoline 
vermouth. Kat, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah. So as we like to do, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure thing. So Kat Hamidi is my name. I am the co-founder of Capital Line Vermouth here in Washington, D.C. So uh, we are a small vermouth and aperitivo company um, here actually in the Ivy City neighborhood where we're sitting today. Yeah. Awesome. So you've been doing this for two or three years now? Capital Line has been on market since 2015. So we're coming up on three years this summer, but actually have been making vermouth for some years before that within restaurant production where we got started. Gotcha. Gotcha. So vermouth, we're going to be talking a lot about today. And I think the first question that comes to my mind is how did you fall in love with it? Talk about that restaurant background and how it turned from kind of a casual uh, hobby to more of a, an official brand. Sure. So uh, my business partner and I started making the vermouth years back in restaurant setting. He is a chef owner of restaurants in town. Peter Paston owned a place called Obelisk, which I called home um, for many years, eight years. So mid 2000s, I would say roughly we started making vermouth because we were starting a sort of very humble in-house our cocktail program. And we were making many things, as many things as we possibly could, including cellos and different spirits, different liqueurs. So we started making them really simply there within the restaurant. We uh, expanded, opened another restaurant together where I was his beverage program manager, and we expanded our vermouth portfolio from there. So really started just for in-house consumption. And then we moved on, uh, opened another restaurant and sort of started playing around with it a little bit more seriously. Okay. And and where did Capitaline come into the picture for you? We opened another restaurant, like I said, in uh, on 14th Street in DC with uh, Tad Kurtz, Peter, and I was a manager there. And we had been making several different styles of vermouth, everything, dry vermouth, quinado, sweet vermouth. We would experiment with different wine bases. And I really, I fell in love with the process, fell in love with drinking vermouth and thought it would be a great opportunity to pursue going to market at that point. And that was in 2000, about 13 or maybe 2000, early 2014. Okay. And how were you able to take that out of the restaurant setting and into more of an official production space? I guess more, you wouldn't necessarily call it industrial, except that the neighborhood's kind of industrial feeling. (laughs) It's a little more craft than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we produce our products out of New Columbia Distillers right up the street from where we are right now. And they make Green Hat Gin, DC's first gin. So John and Michael, I'd known John for years. He and I actually worked together back at that first restaurant, Obelisk, many years ago. And we, when we decided we'd like to pursue market, it made all the sense in the world to try to collaborate with um, with John. He and Michael, his partner, were looking to produce a uh, summer cup, a fruit cup. So we sort of, it, it, was a, it was a great relationship because they needed us to make a product for them and we needed space to make our product. And so we went in and worked that out for them and they allow us to come in and use their space. Nice. What is a summer cup? Is that like a <laughs> yeah. pim, is that a pims? Yeah, pims is a famous example. So uh, the cup fruit cup is the is the style of uh, libation that it is. It's a British uh, liqueur that is always constituted, as far as I know, of of gin and vermouth and other things in the bottling. So it's sort of one stop shopping cocktail in a bottle before those things were a thing. So Pims is, yes, a very famous example of that. Very nice. So we have a restaurant background, and then you fell in love with vermouth, 
and then the opportunity came in with New Columbia Distillers. And now that you've been doing this for a couple of years, um, you know, what's the kind of state of vermouth, the state of the union for vermouth right now? <laughs> oh, geez, I don't know that I could speak on that uh, totally, but I will say that I think I think that that the the taste for vermouth here, at least locally, and the people that I talk to certainly has changed. I think that people are more open-minded about it than they were certainly before Capital Line even existed. But in the last few years that we've been doing it, uh, people are a little bit more open-minded than they were. It's It's got a little bit of a stigma for sure. People think it's that, you know, you wave it over the glass for a martini, right? Or it's, oh yeah, I know that's in a martini, that's in a Manhattan, and that's a perception. And that's, you know, that's okay. It just, it's a, it's a conversation uh, ingredient. It's not straightforward. It's not vodka. It's not whiskey. It's not beer. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I produce something, but I'm also very hands-on. I do all the sales for the business and the events and tastings. And so I get to really talk to people about it and change people's minds about vermouth, which is one of my favorite things to do. People say, oh, I don't like vermouth. And my follow-up question is always, well, how do you know that? Because it's always just been this background innocuous ingredient for most people. Right. Yeah. And we're we're going to talk uh, some details about that now. So first off, could you give us, I mean, we've done a, a kind of like a vermouth liqueurs and Amari episode where we kind of hit the high points of those things, but we've never done a deep dive into vermouth. So could you start us off with maybe just a very basic definition and then jump into a little bit of the history of like where it comes from and how it got here? Sure. So um, vermouth by definition is, it's pretty broad. It's it's fortified and aromatized wine. So it's always a wine-based aperitivo or spirit, however you'd like to describe it, and fortified with spirit. And then aromatized with various things, herbs, flowers, any sort of botanical really that you can imagine. Um, and that's a broad sense, a broad definition. The EU has a stricter definition. I'll start by saying that, you know, vermouth, vermouth in its really most basic fundamental form has been consumed for since ancient China and the Persian empire. These are wines that have been medicinal and uh, used in religious uh, ceremonies. So these, these wines have been consumed for a very long time. When they came to be called vermouth, uh, late 18th century was in Europe. And, you know, there's varying, there there are different uh, stories and fables around this. One of the great ones is that um, in Turin in the late 1800s, we, most of us know Carpino Antica, the gentleman who started that, began a production, a commercial production of vermouth. So, you know, the French may say they really had a little bit more to do with it, but it, it is, it's seems to be the history is really starting in, in its most modern way in Italy. It was very widely consumed. It is still very widely consumed in a lot of cultures. And, and once upon a time here in the States was also very widely consumed. Uh, mostly New York, pre-prohibition, obviously, and pre-war. Quite a bit of it was consumed here. So, so the definition of vermouth by EU standards, which is one thing I started to say, is that it had to has to contain wormwood and has to be fortified with grape spirit. We make American vermouth and the New World vermouth that's being made in this country doesn't always include wormwood, doesn't always include a grape spirit. We do things a little bit differently so that there's a little bit wider berth for for vermouth production in the States than there is in the EU. Uh, we take advantage of that and we do things that are more suited to sort of our taste and what we think works well for our business and for the ultimate, you know, ultimately the product that we produce. So we are lucky enough to have um, access to some really great wine. We fortify with a spirit that is distilled right in the distillery where we produce our product. So it's a local red winter wheat. We have some lovely wine that we use and we go from there. Great. 
When I was doing a little bit of research for something completely separate, I just want to kind of zoom in on maybe the martini and the Manhattan, right? Which okay. are these these two drinks that, you know, you said that's one of the main things that you hear people say, oh yeah, martini Manhattan, I get yeah. it, vermouth. It's one of the access points for the the product. When I was skimming through Imbibe, which is David Wondrich's really uh, famous cocktail history book, he makes a, a lot of um, important notes about how when the martini and the Manhattan came about, there were kind of changes in the American palate and the, and the way that vermouth was used in the cocktails. A uh, very noteworthy change was that, you know, we have these two types of, the two main types of vermouth, if you will, the sweet vermouth and the dry vermouth, which I'm, I'm sure that we'll talk about here. And in a Manhattan, there's the sweet vermouth. In a martini, there's the dry vermouth. And it might just seem like, well, that's the way it is. But really, this this came about because of certain changes in the American palate and certain changes in, in the types of spirits and the styles of spirits, especially gin that were being imported. So any additional thoughts on that? Um, well, so so one, one thing that is important to mention also, I think, when it comes to the history of those cocktails specifically, is that once upon a time, they were consumed much more wet than they are now. So, so vermouth really was more of a main uh, player in those cocktails. I think it's fascinating to, to read the history of those sorts of things because, you know, we, we once upon a time drank these sort of softer, easier drinking, more cocktails with a little bit more nuance. And then things sort of spiked post-war. We kind of know that history, you know, the prohibition shook things up and, and World War II shook things up. And so um, I think we're sort of coming back around to that original style a lot more, which I appreciate and have sort of always appreciated a softer, lower ABV cocktail. So thankfully things are sort of changing, um, maybe back to those sort of original recipes that you you see in these old uh, history, cocktail history books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So definitely if you're interested in getting into the nitty gritty, pick up a copy of Imbibe. I believe the revised edition actually has a little bit more in terms of talking, you know, I think Wondrich was able to, for the revised edition, dig up some import records wow, that showed neat. the change between importation of Geneva as opposed to London dry style gin, mm -hmm. which was a big kind of indicator of when the vermouth preference switched from sweet to dry for oh, the martini mm -hmm. uh, or the and or the Manhattan. So yeah, definitely a good book to check out there. But we started to talk about different types of vermouth. So I figured I would just let you jump in and maybe we could even do some tasting. Yeah, sure. So I guess what, what most people think of when they think of vermouth certainly are two styles of vermouth that there's, there's a dry vermouth and there's sweet vermouth. And that's sort of overly broad because within those definitions are different styles, there's different wine bases, there's different botanical they can use different um uh you know recipes different uses at the at the end of the day so we at capital line actually produce three different vermouth a dry a white and a rosé and those speak a little bit more not just stylistically but also to the wine bases that we use vermouth ultimately is a wine product and you can't always tell that depending on the vermouth that you're drinking you know i always say that um you know vermouth is just like in style, there's a spectrum just like drinking, you know, domestic light beer all the way to a double Bach beer. There's everything in between. And luckily, you know, it's a lot of fun as a producer to be able to play with those different styles. So yes, we have um, all of our bottling. So we have our three vermouth and actually just to throw in a wild card, we just released a citrus bitter aperitivo. So if we'd like, we can also taste that. Yeah. One. 
So the first thing that we're trying is our, our dry vermouth. And this is actually um, the, not the most recent product, but the second to last product that we released. Um, a sort of more savory and robust style of dry vermouth than I would say really exists on market. So what we do is we, we have this great Italian white wine that we're able to source. And to that, like I said, we fortify with a red winter wheat spirit. And we add a whole slew of botanicals, lots of citrus, quite a bit of bittering agent. So as you're right. as you're picking up on, that's a pretty bitter style dry vermouth. It sort of lives in a land between an amaro and a vermouth, really flavor profile wise. Quasia. Uh, so there's there's gentian, wormwood, rhubarb okay. root, uh, uh, and rhubarb. yes, and yep. cinchona bark. So the rhubarb root, yeah, yeah, is is there alongside quite a bit of citrus and spice, juniper berry. There's saffron, uh, Meyer lemon, Seville orange. Mm. So we we sort of play with classic. What are classic? vermouth botanicals but in a more botanical driven style and this is the dry not the white correct this is the dry is there a distinction that people will be able to draw in their head between those two because i know like sweet you can tell the color in the bottle is darker right well depends on how you sweeten your vermouth if you use caramel then it's pretty straightforward it's sort of a brownish uh color liquid uh, most vermouth most commercially produced vermouth, and you, you probably know this is made with bulk wine. It's sort of, you know, second press or or very inexpensive, high uh, yielding wines. So then to that, you add caramel and you have this sort of consistent color that everybody sort of understands sweet vermouth to be. But as I'm saying that, I'm pouring you a taste of our white vermouth, which though is not what would be perceived as a classically a sweet vermouth, is a sweeter style vermouth. So same wine base as the dry, it's a blended white wine from from Italy that we we get and fortified the same way. But you'll see as you're tasting it, totally different flavor profile. It is a sweeter style. Um, oh, I love that. Made with yeah. quite a bit of saffron. So you've got citrus, you've got herbs, you've got flowers. Yeah, it's very floral. Have, yeah. Well, there's saffron, which, you know, gives a floral note. Mm -hmm. uh, chamomile flowers, rose petal. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. so again, these are these are we, we didn't you know, pull these completely out of the air. The, the, the botanicals that we use are vermouth botanicals, just sort of in our, in our translation. Right. One of the things that I tend to notice about the white vermouth that you see widely, widely available on the market, like, uh, Dolan Blanc, mm -hmm. and then Martini now has one mm -hmm. and, you know, any number of the major vermouth players now have has, have them, they're usually completely clear. Yes. Um, so what makes yours not clear? What makes theirs clear as opposed to yours not being you clear? You know, I could give you a better understanding of why ours isn't clear as opposed to the way that they're they're likely treating their product. But we um, do probably not the same sort of filtering that they use. The wine that we use is a pretty deeply colored white wine. So it's Garganega Sauvignon Blanc. So if you know anything about those grape varieties, Garganega mm. especially throws a little bit of color then we fortify with this spirit that's been infused with our botanical. So that pulls tons of color uh, into the bottling. Right. And just the rose that you mentioned is going to add like an, a decent amount of color. Saffron. Absolutely. All the bittering agents that we use when you throw, really, if you throw anything right. into a high proof spirit, it will wick out all of the color uh, aromatics and flavor that you you know, whatever you may lay into it. So, so our infusion has color, the wine has color, and then we do what we think is an adequate uh, and more than adequate, uh, the, the right amount of, of filtering so that it's still, it exists. The product that you see is from whence it came. 
Right. Um, we didn't want to strip it of its color. We didn't see that the market value for that. And we didn't see the labor, you know, just didn't think it was something that we needed to do. So, so it is much more colorful, but I also think, you know, our product is much different than those other products that you mentioned, like a Dolan and a Martini, um, stylistically yeah. quite different. Right. And just for folks listening, cause you can't see us here. It's not cloudy. It, 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 it <laughs> no. is filtered. It, it's yes. completely clear, but it's just it's a, a different, sort of a golden honey color. Yeah. Just yeah. a different take on, on white. So it's, it's, it's going to maybe act in cocktails very similarly to those other blanc or white vermouths, but it's, it's going to be a different color. So partially because in our, and we call it white. Capital Line White because it's the wine base. The next bottling that we'll try is the rosé, and you'll see that this is is much more kind of in line with the color of what you imagine a sweet vermouth to be, but this is a very dark rosé wine base that we use to start the vermouth. Right. So stylistically, yes, it's a white vermouth, but, you know, we its name comes more from what the wine base is. Right, yeah. yeah. So you're being you're being more true to the the origin as opposed to the category. Yes. Yeah. Which is a, you know again earlier I mentioned that vermouth being a vermouth maker and salesperson <laughs> it, it requires conversation and you're already having these conversations with people so so you know there's always a barometer for products on market that you can kind of refer to you know I could say well in place of blank ingredient you might use our white vermouth instead so you know people. Thankfully, or, or like I said, they're open to hearing more about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, but as you're tasting it, it's sort of um, when you have those refer reference points to other products on market, it's like, okay, this reminds me of this. Now I get it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll taste the rosé right now. Then we'll, we'll definitely, after we do the tasting, we'll circle back and we'll talk about some cocktails for sure. Because... Sounds good. So this one, uh, this is a rosé wine based vermouth. This is uh, the rosé, I will say the rosé and the white, the first two products that we went to market with, because we designed these, both the white and the rosé to be consumed on their own and integrated into cocktails. That was always the plan. You know, vermouth is not only a cocktail ingredient. If you spend time in any of the bars in Barcelona, it's very widely produced there and these small, fabulous little vermouth and tapas bars. They, everyone has their own vermouth and everyone serves tapas and you drink vermouth all afternoon. So culturally, it's really lovely, very important uh, to culture there in that part of Spain. The, the vermouth that we really love are those that you can drink on their own. Mm -hmm. And that is one of our favorite ways of consuming. So this rosé certainly is more in that style, that Spanish or Italian style of, of sipping vermouth. Sure. Yeah, I'm noticing it, it definitely brings back the strongest sensory memory because I've, I've tasted all of your products in the past, but the, the rosé is definitely to me, the one that stands out in my mind as being very different in its flavor profile from a traditional Carpano Antica or like a Dolan that, that you would see used in, in food service a lot. Uh, I get a lot more kind of savory base notes in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's definitely more, more complex, uh, you know, there's uh, an evolving mouth experience to her flavor experience. So it's, it, it's different on the finish. So you definitely get that complexity. Yep. Agreed. I think um, we, again, when stylistically, we love all of those old vermouth. We love Carpano, you know, I have to give propers to Carpano Antica because, you know, that's, that is everyone sort of, that's the barometer. That's the baseline. That's what they know. That's what they understand. That's what they use. That's what they like. Same with Dolan, Punta Mess, all of those sort of classic widely produced or widely distributed and seen products you know, if it weren't for them, <laughs> maybe we wouldn't be here. Just a totally different style. Ours is a bit more, I think, complex. Like you said, we sweeten differently. Um, we don't use caramel. 
we let the wine exist in its truest, you know, it, it, this is a really high acid, fresh, mm-hmm. uh, whole cluster carbonic Sangiovese that we get from Stoltman Vineyards in California, which we're really lucky to have that wine source. Thank you to Peter, my partner for that. But so we wanted it, we, we want this to be a wine product. We want it to speak to what it is and have a complexity of the botanical that we put in it. And, and the rosé shows that a lot. So it's quite savory. It's made with more savory herbs, um, fresh bay leaf and rosemary alongside um, clove and nutmeg, quite a bit of citrus. So, so it's a multi-layered drinking experience for sure. Right. Yeah. We feel the same way uh, whenever people talk to us um, about Angostura or Peixodes in relation to our bitters. It's like, yeah, those guys are great. It's, yeah. We're doing something you know significantly different, but it's always great to have that as the, the conversation discussion point to talk about how you're differentiating and doing something a little bit new and noteworthy in the category. So, fantastic. And there's space for it on market. There's always space for new ideas, be it vermouth or any spirit or beer or bitters. You know, there's... Um, like I said, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to be able to produce something that is kind of fun and, and different than, than we've seen on market. Right. So we've got your three vermouths that we tasted through. Do you want to do the uh, aperitivo? Yeah, why not? You want to try Great. it? Yes. Okay. Always. <laughs> so this is brand spanking new for us. This is something we just released. Geez, what is it? Uh, it's March now. So in February of this year, and this is different. This is a departure from our vermouth line, but really kind of makes sense. It's, um, uh, I describe it as an Italian style bitter aperitivo. So, so as you taste it, it's probably familiar flavors happening for you. Mm-hmm. Heavy on citrus, heavy, heavy on bittering agents and spice. It's a red winter wheat distillate. So again, it is something that we uh, produce grain to glass down at New Columbia. And to that, we add all of our lovely things. So it's an infusion. So citrus, um, ginger, cardamom, all those great bittering agents that we love. And cochineal for coloring. So it's a throwback to all those, that old school Italian red that you see. Right. Yeah. This is the the most obvious comparison right now would be something like a Campari or sure. any of those other like yeah. uh, Aperol style things. The, the bitterness is definitely very focused and probably a little bit harder hitting, I'd say. Oh, wow. Okay. Then, then Campari. Maybe not. Maybe harder hitting is 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 the the wrong way to say it. Linear, I think, maybe. <laughs> I think it lingers like, a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's I'm definitely. I love bitter things. Obviously, this is appropriate. But yeah. So it's it is reminiscent getting? of those things. Um, but but again, it's its own identity. So we do ginger, cardamom, which to me are are so perfect together and and right. very present in this bottling. Quite a bit of citrus, as you can pick up on. So again, we love Seville orange. We love bitter orange. We love bitter. And also quite a bit of uh, wormwood, gentian, rhubarb root, right? And cinchona bark. So we do we we stick with our flavor profiles. Each bottling sort of has its style. You know, it's a family style, and I think that this the the Tiber is the name, capital line Tiber, falls in line with our identity, yeah. right? One thing that I noticed about this is that the distillate, the winter wheat, I think definitely shows through in this, probably because there's more ABV. There's it's higher ABV if I'm right. if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. And there's no wine, so it's just spirit based. Yeah. So that definitely comes through in a really clean but also a bit earthy. Yeah. Um, for, it, it's kind of sure. cool. Just the wheat like, is really beautiful. Um we get it from a farmer in Virginia and it's it's lovely wheat. We start with a really great product and and with a really great product. There's none of the spirit that we use is purchased. So there's also a lot more control ultimately on the product that you end up with. So yeah. And I do notice, you know, having sipped through these, 
there is, it's probably in the bittering agents if I had to guess, um, but there's definitely a through line that kind of is consistent across the backbone of all your products so that when, if I were to do a blind tasting, maybe I'm not as versed as I could be, but you know, in theory, if I were to do a blind tasting, I might be able to identify something as a capital line product due to just that it's it's a bit intangible. I think it has something to do with the rhubarb, but it's that backbone that kind of runs across all four of these products. It's a really nice signature to kind of cap it all off. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's great to hear. So we've got a few different styles of vermouth. Can we talk about some of the more popular vermouth cocktails that people are going to come across at bars or that they can try to make at home? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, one of the great things about vermouth, like I said, is Drinking vermouth on its own is incredibly pleasurable for me, and I think um, an underappreciated drinking experience that I wish more people would dabble in. So the most straightforward and simple is, like I said, our rosé and our white, both something that you would pour just over ice with a little bit of seltzer and some fun garnish, be it an olive, a slice of orange, a slice of lemon. So for me, that's always where I start. Because they're so complex and they have so much identity, and we design these, you know, specifically a couple products that we make to be consumed on their own. That's sort of a great starter. I have been out of the bar game for a little while. I was for many years working in restaurants, but I think some great things that I often drink at home, an Americano is one of my favorites. So you'll, you'll notice that in this line of questioning, a lot of low ABV things come up. So for me, Mm -hmm. um, drinking an Americano, which is equal parts, uh, sweet vermouth and classically Campari, but of course you could use our Tiber in place of that is a very easy thing to do. Just ice seltzer and slice of orange. I believe in session cocktails. I also love a higher proof cocktail. I, I, you know, one of my favorite sort of when I, um, you know, I like to say like when I became an adult in my twenties, decidedly was a Manhattan. So I, a Manhattan, it's easy, it's delicious, it's familiar, packs a little bit more of a punch. Right. And that's a classically a two to one whiskey to sweet vermouth, or in your case, the rosé. The rosé vermouth. Exactly. Um, I also use the white and a classic uh, rye whiskey and white vermouth iteration of a Manhattan. For me, I do (laughs) one-to-one partially because like I said, you know, I I believe in having a cocktail or two and and drinking a bottle of wine and and maintaining. So I like a session cocktail. I'm, I'm a huge fan. And what I really think that I drink most at home is some version of an Adonis cocktail. So, uh, you know, sherry, sweet vermouth, bitters cocktail for me is kind of a no brainer. That's my go-to. So Mm -hmm. It's my, my favorite version is an Oloroso and Capital Line Rosé version with a little bit of orange bitters. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little bit more robust, but still beautifully oxidative and quite tasty. Yeah. So with the Adonis, I want to zoom in here because I'm not yeah, super zoom. familiar with this one. What are, the, uh, what are the classic ratios and maybe what ratios do you employ as a vermouth fanatic? So classic ratios are one-to-one. So it's a sweet vermouth and sherry cocktail, which is um, not something that I change necessarily. So I classic, like I said, I like to use uh, Oloroso and sweet vermouth with orange bitters, which is actually pretty, pretty classic, just kind of shakes up the the sherry side of it. Right. And do you stir that? How do you chill that? It's a stir. Yes. Sorry. So it's a stir and slightly diluted and and I serve mine up with orange peel. So Mm -hmm. just sort of let it, uh, I stir, I let it sit and, and pour into a coupe. Right. Um, Yeah. And I drink those a lot at home. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to pick up a bottle of sherry. That yeah. sounds that sounds excellent. <laughs> and it's uh, great. You know, you just like you keep your sherry and your vermouth in the fridge. They're there for you for many weeks. And you're like, oh, wait, you know what? I, maybe I'm going to have a low ABV cocktail tonight. Right. So one of the things I like to do, especially 
you know, maybe if I'm cooking in the late afternoon and I, I would like a drink, but I don't want to get hammered while I cook. And then, <laughs> right. you know, maybe I'm planning on drinking later is I'll take, if you go to a, a vineyard, usually they'll give you like a little sampler wine glass. You can take it with you when mm-hmm. you go, I'll just take like a little wine glass like that. And I'll put a single ice cube in it and I'll pour one or two ounces of vermouth in it, and I'll just swirl it around with the ice cube. And that's just nice to have on the counter next to me while I cook. And, you know, I think vermouth while I'm cooking is a choice I make because the flavors are kind of similar, right? It's, yeah. it's like many people use vermouth, you know, oftentimes in cooking. I've used it to deglaze pans when I make a sauce. So it's, it's kind of nice to have there while I cook. That's very, very sort of uh, old school and refined of you, I will no. say. I love that. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> tr- it's great. It just, you know, it, it, vermouth and sherry sort of fall into this category of like, uh, you know, what my grandmother would drink that. Or I got, I drank too much vermouth out of my parents' liquor cabinet once. So there's all these like great stories. So it sort of feels like, you know, in a lovely sort of like old school way to do that. But in, in a really great modern way. I mean, who, like you said, for me, I always open a bottle of wine when I, after cooking dinner, right? So you drink a bottle of wine, maybe drink cocktails through dinner, but it's sort of the perfect precursor to your meal. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only because it's low ABV, but also it has all those good herbal qualities that get your appetite going. Right. And it's chilled if you've, if you've used the bottle before, if you're drinking it on ice. So it is, there is a, I would say significant refreshment value to vermouth that I think people don't always expect from a cocktail. Like when I think old fashioned, I don't think refreshment. I think like a deep sense of pleasure and kind of a nuanced experience. But when I think vermouth, most often I'm thinking of refreshment, whether that's in a nice Negroni or in something much lighter like an Americano. Yeah, Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Any other cocktails you want to mention? I think we should probably just give props on the Negroni really quickly. Well, you know, we'd be remiss to not yeah. to not do that. Um, we haven't featured that cocktail on this show yet. I think I'm kind of waiting for Negroni Week this year. I see. But uh, I think since <laughs> it's always you produce, Negroni Week, it's yeah, always Negroni Week. That's true. Uh, <laughs> so especially since you produce out of New Columbia. So yeah. could you talk about maybe since we have a lot of DC listeners, what is the classic Negroni we could now make if we picked up a bottle of Green Hat Gin and and a couple of your products. So the iteration of the classic Negroni, uh, we'll start by saying Negroni in its purest form, and there's some debate around this, is equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and Italian bitters. Most More often than not, it's Campari, right? Um, some people believe you really have to have an aromatic bitters thrown in or Ango or something like that. For me, I don't know that it needs any more seasoning, not to distract, you know, from a great bitters in any cocktail. But so for me, my at-home Negroni, there's two versions of it. And uh, one, they always sort of include the, the same ingredients from our family. So uh, Green Hat Gin, which is grain to glass gin, wonderfully made right up the street, is a savory herbal style gin. This is an American gin, craft gin. It is not super juniper driven. It's really complex really lovely, sort of perfect at 83% and or I'm sorry, 83 um, proof. And so I think that that is a great gin to start with because it's savory and herbal. I'm mm-hmm. not huge into the older school style gins that are super juniper driven. It's a friendly gin. Right. And this is, they make a couple different varieties. Usually their year round is the one that you're referring to. That's the classic year round gin. Yeah. yeah. The first product's the most widely recognized product for for us at New Columbia is that 
that gin, right. which is a great foundation, um, but equal parts. So they all kind of share um, the spotlight. So I do just a three ounce to start. So an ounce of green hat gin. I use an ounce of Capital Line Rosé, which is the sweet, spice, savory style vermouth that we make and our new Capital Line Tiber stir. I let it dilute. I let it sit. I like, I like to let, I like to kind of let it hang out for, for a minute or two in the, in the stir and then always serve over ice. And I always express orange peel and throw it in the glass. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is that while you're, and this is just like in an imaginary home bar setup, right? While you're running to the fridge to get the orange peel, you've already stirred it and you're kind of letting things sit. Give it one more quick stir, strain into the coop. And by the time you've peeled that orange peel, it's gotten, you know, another two to 4% dilution, right. perhaps, depending yeah. on how, how warm the ingredients were when you started. So you can get kind of granular even with your at-home process. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a really great thing to note for folks to play around with. So definitely... Noteworthy here, just to recap, we've got the Americano, uh, very on the kind of very lightest side, and then kind of the Adonis, if you want to add a little bit of sherry to it. And then on the heavier side, of course, we have the Manhattan and Martini, and then the Negroni being kind of on the bitter, more bitter and robust end of the kind of classic vermouth cocktails. So we'll be sure to post those recipes in the show notes page. So uh, head on over to modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast, and you'll be able to find recipes for all of those cocktails. But I was hoping right now we could do a couple of quick lightning round questions. Oh, I'll try my best. All right. Favorite cocktail. Ooh, or I, if you don't have a favorite of all time, something you've been obsessed with lately. Gosh, I, I hate to say it again, but I have to go Adonis. It's just, oh, I can't get enough of it. It's really, I think it satisfies uh, in every season. To me, it's something you can drink in the summer and not feel weighted down. and something you can drink in colder months and feel like a savory warming quality to it. So big fan, big fan. Yeah. We might have to do a redux of that. If we can get Chantal Sang in here. I'm sure she'd be happy sharing. to. Yeah. Yeah. That would she, be amazing. She is the, the, the source to tap. Yes. Yes. She's brilliant. Indeed. So, uh, I know that Sherry is, is a bit of unmapped territory here on the modern bar cart podcast. So that's good motivation for us to go ahead and do an episode on that. And, uh, Chantal, if you're out there listening, please, <laughs> come <laughs> please visit. come and talk to us. <laughs> uh, okay. So the Adonis favorite spirit. Ooh, wow. If I had to pick my favorite spirit, I, I'm going to have to go with gin. I'm going to have to go with gin, not just because I'm a team player, but I, I love the, uh, just the different styles of botanical runs, the spirit base, everyone's version. It's so, it's such a creative spirit. Um, it's always sort of changing and, and developing and we're really lucky to have such a killer American craft community. So I'm going to have to go gin. Right. Also my favorite spirit. And one of the things that I like about it is that, you know, typically if you were to ask people out there like, what's the most flexible spirit in terms of regulations and methods? A, a lot of yeah. people would probably say rum because okay. some of the regulations are so lax as to like what can be called rum. Yeah. A little bit more tightening on that for, for gin and certainly for, for bourbon and other things. So. Right. But I think the nice thing about gin is that like the botanicals because there's just so much to be done yes. on the botanical side of it. Like as long as you hit the basic regulations with to get it to gin space, after that, it's just all blue sky. Yeah, like for sure. Like once you get above that elevation. So I think that's, I, really, I think gin is probably the most flexible spirit and it's also my favorite. So yeah. very cool. Just recently lucky enough to try the Suntory Roku gin, which is off the charts. Incredible. It's made with yuzu and cherry blossoms. 
and it's Japanese. So of course it's like just incredibly beautiful and expressive. So, yes. so I don't think it's in DC market yet. I, I think it may be on the West coast. I'm not sure, but pretty stunning. So just a perfect example of what you're saying. You have all this wiggle room and, and, um, a lot of space for creativity. Right. And now I need to go and try and get my hands on all of that. <laughs> it's pretty killer. That's exciting. Cool. Uh, if you could have a cocktail with anyone past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? And what would you talk about? Oh Try my God. This. So this is going to, I'm going to sound like such a fangirl and this is not even a spirits or wine or beverage. I have a huge celebrity crash currently on Bill Hader. <laughs> so honestly and truly, I want to know what Bill Hader drinks. Imagine it'll be somewhere in LA or New York. Is that weird to say? <laughs> and we'd have to drink vermouth-based cocktails. You know, I got to come to the table with something. He's going to be funny. I'm going to dazzle him with my products. Okay. And sorry, you're, I live under a rock. Can you <gasps> describe Hader. who this is? Bill Hader. He was on SNL for many years. He's got a new show on HBO called Barry where he plays an assassin. Okay. Uh, aspiring actor. He's, the, I think, the funniest guy or person, like one of the funniest people out there. I just saw an ad for that show. Bill I know, Hader. I know who you're Look him up. Right Look him up. Got maybe it. you can do some research and find out what he likes to drink. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> or maybe, we, maybe you know, what you could do is you could invent a cocktail just for him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now you're inspiring me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very cool. <laughs> so anybody who is in the industry has read dozens of books about spirits, about cocktails, about their particular craft. Have there been any books that you've come across uh, specifically about vermouth or about cocktails in general that have been particularly influential to you? Um, there's two books off the top of my head. One is the, the Drunken Botanist, which when I started to work with botanicals and really take um, the vermouth process seriously before we went to market. That was incredibly handy. And, and not just in the cocktail world, but any, any sort of great book on herbs and their qualities and flowers and their qualities. So that, that certainly stands out. And I still reference that all the time. It's oftentimes on my bedside table. It's incredibly great to read cover to cover and so fun to reference and remind yourself about. And then actually the gentleman who uh, runs Atsby Vermouth, wrote a great vermouth book. It's just called Vermouth. So for anybody who's interested in learning about vermouth in a really sort of hands-on and, and straightforward way, that's a great book to read. He, he goes so deep into the history. He gives great recipes. It's a great book for people who are curious about vermouth or very versed in vermouth and kind of want to expand their knowledge and their recipe catalog. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely link to both of those in the show notes. And I think at I'm this sorry, point- I'm sorry, I don't remember that his name off the top of my head. I'm we, sorry to say. Yeah, we will track it down. Both of those will be in the show notes. And at this point, we've given Amy Stewart so many links that we're pretty much just a, another SEO company out there for her. <laughs> so Amy, I think you could repay us by coming on the podcast. So you'll be there getting you an email soon. Hopefully, hopefully we can set something up. <laughs> hey, yeah. But, uh, Count me in. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Maybe we can make it a panel interview. Mm. Really grill Amy on her herbs. So one of the last questions we like to ask is since most of our listeners are home bartenders, whether enthusiasts or aspiring or just very new to the game, do you have any advice for somebody who's just starting out either with vermouth in particular or with cocktails in general? Um, I think one really important thing as a to answer on the vermouth side is, is storage of your spirits and your wine is so hugely important. Everything eventually starts to lose its, its personality and the qualities that you love about it. If you have opened it and leave it out, this applies to spirits too, which I think some people think that these things are infallible and that they won't change, but ultimately they will. The thing is with vermouth, 
be it Capitoline, which hopefully that's your choice. If not, any vermouth is a wine product and it really starts to degrade after time. Most certainly if you leave it out on the counter, over your heater, by your fireplace, and in a windowsill. So the bad experiences that you've had with vermouth, part of the reason might be because it's been oxidized and and left out on a shelf. So keep that in mind. Um, Things like, I always keep my sherry in the fridge. Even even my red wine, if I open red wine, if I don't have access to like a wine cave, which most of us don't at home, I, I put it in the fridge to stabilize it. Uh, vermouth is it's fortified and it's sweetened in most cases so that those things act as natural preservatives but um, storage I think is really important and I think for me you know any I think any ingredient that you're excited about to try it to not be afraid of you know if you like malort you had malort once throw it into some cocktails take a tablespoon of it teaspoon of it put it in a cocktail if Technique is is more intimidating upon first sight than it is upon practice. I will say that. Stirring a cocktail, uh, dry shaking an egg white cocktail. I make I make whiskey sours at home all the time when I have friends over, um, or if I'm just cooking for a friend. I think you know, just jump in. It's it's you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Very very good DIY kind of encouragement there, and definitely in line with a lot of the things that we try and tell our our listeners out there. So. I think the last thing we need to do is tell folks how to get in touch with you. If you'd like to learn more about your spirits, come out and do a tasting with you at some point. I know that you do tastings throughout the DC area. How can they get in touch? So you could certainly email me. It's cat at new Columbia distillers.com um, for any questions, whether it be about product, uh, recipe ideas, where to buy. And that's we, K-A-T. K-A-T. Sorry. Yes. Cat at new Columbia distillers with an S. Dot com. I, as far as if you're a trade or industry, I'm certainly happy to come show you our product. We will be as of next week. So a week from Thursday set up at Penn Quarter Farmer's Market every week. You can come by, you can taste all the gin, all the vermouth and the Tiber. Uh, we can chat and we'll be at DuPont Circles Farmer's Market every other Sunday. Okay. Um, now that the season is starting, in theory, right. it's spring, so we'll be out there. So DuPont Circle every other Sunday and every week at Penn Quarter Farmer's Market to try the product. And like I said, email me if you have questions. If you want to come by the distillery, we're open every Saturday for tastings and tours and cheap cocktails. So that's another fun yeah. option. Right. Facebook, Capitaline Vermouth, and Instagram is Capitaline Vermouth at Capitaline Vermouth. Fantastic. Kat, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. A lot of fun. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcard.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start cocktail revolution here and by spreading the word you're helping us fight the good fight you can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear also definitely follow us on instagram and facebook at modern barcart for cocktail porn recipes and entertaining tips and 
keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, vermouth samples, insights, and analysis by Kat Hamidi, and a little interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.